Friday in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. Uh, Dark Disney, man. It's Dark Disney. Yeah. Dark Kinda. Disney. Well, yeah. Kind of um, Dark Disney. Uh, before we get deep dive into it, what did you call us again? What, what, not Dark Disney. I, I what called did you call it, it? I called it Gloomy Rainy Day Disney. Yeah. And, 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 and for both of us, as soon as you said it, I'm like going, yeah, that that's perfect. And the reason why is for us is same reasons and we talk more about that but since you brought it up go ahead like like we, we were talking before we started recording uh and i want to say the last time i saw this was uh third or fourth grade on a reel-to-reel projector in a room with 27 of my classmates uh while we were stuck inside because it was raining and there was no recess <laughs> and i saw this several times during my lifetime but all in a very short span of my lifetime but always the same uh, during a rainy day at school because yeah. that's totally. what we used to do. Right. Not, not unlike how I mentioned in a previous episode of, of being a big fan of sitting on the edge of forever, the Star Trek episode. That's actually, was it two part or was it just long? I forgot what yeah, it was. No, it's two part. And uh, when they go back in time through this portal and Joan Collins is in it and then they're like, you know, it's old. It's, you know, technically it was like old Chicago or is it old New York? I forget now. It's, it's, it's Chicago. Yeah. For, for me as a kid, it was sword in the stone and it was Star Trek. Those two, that Star Trek episode in particular, where we sat down, we could like, you know, it was raining outside, so we couldn't go for recess or it was raining outside. So we couldn't do PE or whatever it was. It, it was just time to throw the reel to reel on no VHS right. yet people. <laughs> yeah. No. And just get into this. As you noted, the movies, the movies like 80, 80 minutes long. 80 minutes. Like yeah. Sure. And which goes beyond a recess. Right. And sometimes what they would do because of that, we would come back and watch the rest of it during lunch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because we couldn't go outside during lunch either. Right. We were allowed to go down the cafeteria, raining. get our food and come back. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny. It, I don't know if it was like this for you, but for me watching it without the, without the sound of the projector was weird. <laughs> like, you know, you know yeah. just the running of the projector. I can I, and I almost at, at a certain point I could just hear it in my head from memory while I was watching. So it was actually, it was, it was, it was really fun to revisit this. Yeah. Like I said, I probably haven't seen it in 40 plus years. I would say, God, how old are you in third or fourth grade? Seven or eight, six, eight or yeah, nine. Eight, nine. So yeah. yeah, man, like 40 plus years. So the the one and only movie that we cover this month, actually, you can come to think of it for the most part, have we covered any movies where we were single digits? Have we done that yet? No, no, I don't think so. I think the closest I think we, we got the first. to the closest we got. No, no, we did. We did. We covered uh, the end and we covered 
Hooper. We are both, right. both under 10. But I want to say I saw the end in my teens. I didn't see it in 1970. I, I probably saw it when I was 12. Yeah. But, but Hooper, but I Hooper, probably yes. saw. Sure. <laughs> Hooper for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Hooper when I was eight. But, but this is a whole different kind. This a is a whole, whole different, different beast thing. altogether. Yeah. Because you, yeah. this is the time that you got to see and sit essentially in a movie theater with your friends. Some people you didn't like. Yeah. Some people you did like. Right. But how rare was it to be single digits and or sitting in a movie theater without one of your parents with you? Right. And being able to lie down on a towel. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was the best. <laughs> in the dark, right? And staring at this, you know, at the screen that pulled down over the chalkboard, right? Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's so good. But you're right though. Not having the projector sound, not having to come out of that little speaker, you know. Right. Watching it on Disney Plus, it's never looked better. You know, no. they, they cleaned it up from probably from a previous release. I don't know if they ever put out a, a, a 4K release of it, but it is in 4K on uh, Disney Plus. But even if you're getting the 1080p down conversion, it is gorgeous. And I don't think yeah, I've man. ever heard it in 5.1 before either. And I'm not saying you watch it that oh, way, no. but the sound was so good. Oh, like, dude, like I'm saying, I never, I, I don't know. I didn't know, I know what it sounded like without the projection <laughs> right. noise. So it was weird. I was like, wow, there's yeah. a lot more musical aspect to this. And I remember I was used to it starting with the projector noise ta, 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 and then suddenly hearing Mr. French. Right. <laughs> family affair. So weird. You know, give us, <laughs> give us the narration <laughs> and the introduction to Wart and Arthur and the, and the, you know, so, you know, without the projector noise and, and I mean, it, it was like watching it. It was like seeing it for the first time and, and definitely hearing it for the first time. Right. There's so much going on that I was never aware of. Right. And the, the movie's chock full of, of songs from the Sherman brothers, Robert and Richard, which was not uncommon back then during the stretch of, of, of music heavy Walt Disney features. We get this a lot, especially the next one up after this was Jungle Book and a short while later, the Aristocats. But this one was the last one that was released before Walt passed. It was also the most poorly received in the movie theaters. And not, and only saying that from the box office standpoint, and you and I talked about it briefly trying to figure out what happened because 101 Dalmatians before was a massive hit. And then Jungle Book after this was just as big as Dalmatians. So what happened? Well, a quick kind of Google search, and it turns out that the initial release of Sword in the Stone was on Christmas Day in 63, just short, four short weeks after President Kennedy was assassinated. And you, you have to wonder if that had an effect on the world and the desire to go to the movies. It has to have, had to have an effect. It's something you found later on, a separate uh, uh, investigation from my own and research from my own, was that. It shows as a six, 1964 June release. And I, I almost yeah, feel weird, like right? it almost feels like Disney had it out for a short while, maybe for the sake of Oscars, maybe. And then went wide well, for later. Christmas. Yeah. For the Christmas crowd, maybe. Yeah. And maybe they saw that it was a bad idea. And th this is when I like we discussed previously, this is a time when movies got re-released anyway. Oh yeah. Over and over. Over and over again. Um, which is how movies like 101 Dalmatians and Jungle Book got into the hundreds of millions of dollars of box office gross because, well, it's been, it wasn't one release. It was several over decades. Right. I mean, because you're like me. I'm sure you probably saw 101 Dalmatians in a theater in the 70s. Yep. 
I did, yep. you know, probably 10 years after it was released and it was like right there. Hey, you know, and it was, I remember vividly, they would do things like that, you know, back in theaters and, you know, you'd be like, ah, and, you know, beg your parents to take you. And, you know, I, I mean, I think I saw the jungle, but all of them, they, it happened. Like, it wasn't like a, you know, and it wasn't like a once in a while thing. I felt like it happened like twice a year, right. every year. <laughs> right. Well, you know, what's funny is Roy Disney, um, Walt's older brother, was encouraging Walt not to do any more animated movies after this. He's like, don't do any more. You've got enough in the catalog for re-releases for decades to come, which is actually what we all experience and what we're talking about right now. Fast forward to the VHS days and then a little bit of the DVDs. Remember when movies would come out and they would go into moratorium afterwards? Dude, I remember having to track down a VHS copy of Beauty and the Beast and it was on moratorium and this was before, this was before DVD. And I remember dude going to swap meets down in Santa Fe Springs and going, you know, finding the guy and literally and paying like probably $40 for a Beauty and the Beast VHS for a Christmas gift for my aunt. But it was funny. I remember people would get so upset about the whole moratorium thing. I go, but that's what they did with the movies. And when there was only theater releases, they would have it out for a short while and it would come back eight, nine, 10 years later. Yeah. That was, it was no different. That was, that was their MO. But I think what's interesting is like, if Walt had listened to Roy, we wouldn't have had Jungle Book. We wouldn't have had Robin Hood. Robin Hood. We wouldn't Risk have had, cats. and we wouldn't have had our, obviously, you know, later on, we wouldn't have had the movie we're covering next week. We wouldn't have had a lot of stuff. <laughs> no, 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 no. Fox and the Hound. Fox and the Hound. Rescuers. My mind was always blown with Fox and the Hound with Kurt Russell being the voice. Todd. Yeah. <laughs> so weird, the fox. man. The little fox, little foxy Todd. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and the Rescuers too, which to me is another, you know, that's kind of a dark Disney. I mean, it did great, but it was a big hit, but man, that, that was, that was kind of dark for, and that was right at 77. Yeah. All that stuff wouldn't have happened if, if, if a good old Walt had listened to his big brother. There's one thing Walt has always, was always keen on was doing exactly what people tell him not to do. He's just like, fuck you. I'm doing what I want to do. And he built an empire from it. I'm Walt Disney, man. (laughs) And now it's a, this fucking juggernaut that doesn't make anything anymore. It just buys other companies that make things. Right. But no, Sword in the Stone, just so you have the background, the source material is uh, a book called, is a part of a book called The Once and Future King from T.H. White. This is the first book and it was followed by three other books and then a fourth book that came out. And I say book, I mean parts that came out after White passed. And it's this whole succession of Arthur and King Arthur and the whole Lancelot. The way it's dealt with, obviously when you have songs (laughs) for a book, I mean, the book came out in 58. So we're not too far away from when the book came out to where they're already in production making this movie. Obviously T.H. White didn't have songs in mind, but that's what Disney does and did. The songs, and as like I mentioned earlier, are from the Sherman Brothers. We, we, we get that really, really common. But also the music in there is another staple during this time, and that was George Brun's scores. It's always piano-heavy stuff and more on the jazzy side of things. And that was during this period of time. Like I said, after this, you get your Aristocats, which is, if you want the quintessential music and songs soundtrack for this period of time of like 15, 20 years, where jazz is heavily influenced, Aristocats is, man, so good. That's like, that's my 
all-time favorite animated Disney movie and always has been because I had the record. Remember the records used to always have out? Oh, God, dude. Yeah, the little book with the record. Yeah. Fucking, and it would ding and you would change the page. Oh, no, that, that, for, that was the small 45 size 33s, remember? Oh, you're talking about the full-size uh, the album. The full-size yes. album. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah, but totally. I had them both, too. But, you know, it was time to turn the page when Tinkerbell <laughs> makes her sound right? like when, this. When you hear the Tinkerbell, when you hear Tank, time yes. to change the page. Disney has owned our childhoods and yeah, it's a lot different now, but thankfully I'm Joey has a, a father that gives a shit about this kind of stuff. And thank God there's people that still have these records because a lot of them have been recorded and they're on YouTube. Now it's not as fun because you don't get to see the books, but hearing that, the, and I'll, I'll link to some of this stuff too. So you guys know what we're talking about. It just hearing it back again was a trip. I didn't see if Sword in the Stone was on there, but definitely the Jungle Book one is, and I'll make sure that one's in there. But fuck, man, so good. But also, I should point out that George Bruns, who who was their you know their their main composer for all their music, he it wasn't just for the animated stuff too. He he also did the Absent Minded Professor, so he did a lot of the live action Disney fair as well. Right, dude, I didn't know this too. He was nominated for for Sleeping Beauty and Babes in Toyland, both of them. Oh, dude, I totally forgot about Babes in Toyland. Yeah, Good and he Lord. was best adaptation for Sword in a Stone. How about that shit? Maybe you're right. Maybe they did put this out for Oscar consideration. I think that's what happened because he got nominated for it and also for Robin Hood later on. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- th- those musical sequences in this, like, you know, like when Merlin is fucking doing the dishes yes. or, or, or cleaning up the kitchen. The, my favorite scene in the whole movie uh, is early on when they're when they're in the cottage in the woods and he's packing to go and everything is shrinking down and it, but I mean all of that stuff it's it's spectacular I didn't realize how literally they borrowed from this <laughs> from Beauty and the Beast yeah they really did I mean if you're gonna steal you can steal from yourself it's not a big deal you got and you have a good you have, you have amazing resources to pull from too. Sure. But I mean, again, having not seen this for 40 years, this and have only seen and having only seen this projected as an eight or nine year old and having seen, you know, Beauty and the Beast countless times right. uh, in my mind, didn't even remember any of that stuff until, you know, I was watching. I watched this twice because it was so much like the first time I just kind of was like time traveling back to like 1978 or right. nine. Uh, and then, you know, then I watched it again yesterday and took some notes and such about sequences and there were some other things I just want to look up, but man, what a funny little forgotten. I mean, and I guess it's not forgotten by most Disney people, but for me, I just don't, when I think of their animated stuff, this isn't like a, if you told me to name 10 movies, it would, this wouldn't be in it. And not because I don't like it, right. but it's just because there's so many from my childhood that would, you know, that would make that list. Right. I could just rattle them off. Right. I think for you and I, we really, it's the ones that came after this that were really the ones that we, Jungle Book, Robin Hood, from, again, like you just mentioned, Aristocats. To me, the, those, the, I think because they, we, they, I gravitated to them because of the music and they were the most heavily musically dense movies of the feature films. Yeah. There's music. There's always been at least one song in all their movies for the most part. You know why? Because a cat's the only cat who knows where it's at. <laughs> You know, I should have been the one saying it. <laughs> I know, dude. I was waiting for it. I was like, come I know. on. You know, it's Saturday morning. What do you want from me? I got you, dude. But this, but the movie, of course, just starts off with, again, it's the, it's the first part of a, a, of a larger book where you we have Arthur, who is, a, you know, a wannabe squire to, to some wannabe knight 
who seems to be fairly into the into the business of beating children. <laughs> right? What is going and that's voiced by Mr. French. Yeah, dude, it's so bad. To be to be show the faithful servant that he is, that Arthur is, he goes, uh, hey, you know what? I fucked up and your arrow went shooting into that dark forest over there. So I'm gonna go chase it down. <laughs> and the sir's like, go for it, dude. I am not I'm not following you. <laughs> yep, yeah, right. So he runs off in there and how about that wolf? Right? <laughs> The, the lone wolf, you know, we got Lenny from Laverne and Shirley here, the lone wolf. Yeah, right. <laughs> I kept waiting for that wolf to talk and sound like Pat Butram. <laughs> I should point out Michael McKean does not do the voice. I'm just making a silly reference to Laverne and Shirley. No, no, I, I know where I was going. I've seen the jacket. Eventually, through some fortunate mishaps and being pursued, Arthur ends up in the chair of Merlin, who we just saw briefly before that, who has been told. And prophesies that he is going to meet the heir to the kingdom soon. Boom. He turns around and here's Arthur sitting in his chair in his house in the dark, dark woods. Merlin lives here with uh, with Archimedes, voiced by the Junius Matthews, who is, like you pointed out, man, he should have been spun off into his own thing. Oh, yeah. And because this, because this was the first part, I have a feeling that if the movie had done a little better, maybe we would have seen them expand on this more. Or maybe if it was a little bit later in in life into the VHS days, maybe we would have seen expansion to home video or something like that. But we did not, which makes this a nice little uh, slice of, of 1960s Disney animation. But like we were saying, Archimedes could have been on his own, just having his own thing. And it didn't take very long before Arthur is like, where the fuck am I? <laughs> a talking owl. Right. Which was really funny too, because like, you know, for us, man, we're used to like talking animals and animation. You know, if it's Scooby Doo, <laughs> yeah, animals talk. That's right. That's that's just what they do. So Merlin just thinks that Arthur is the guy. He's been prophesied that this dude's going to show up, and he's just gonna he's gonna be, be under his tutelage. He's going to teach him a, a thing or two about about magic and how to run a kingdom, and uh, basically mentor him. I've always felt that that maybe Arthur wasn't supposed to be the heir to the king. You know, in time, when we get to the end of the movie and he finally comes face to face with a sword in the stone, turns out he is. But the fun along the way, in the Disney version of it anyway, is Merlin teaching Arthur about the world by turning him into various animals. <laughs> right? I was waiting for the song, Would you like to swing on a star? <laughs> I just what I felt like for a moment. I was like, Yeah. Wait a second, <laughs> which is also something we probably saw on a rainy day. Probably. There is a Disney property somewhere where they, that you do get that, but not in this movie. No. But those sequences are so much fun. Yeah. Life lessons. And, and, and that's the thing. This was a time, like for the other movies I, we mentioned earlier with, with the Dixieland jazz and just straight jazz music that we were getting in the features. Just like with all the, the features we're talking about that are heavy music, you literally could take these sections out and make music videos. And surprising to nobody is that Disney Channel did that all the time. They would pull out these moments where it was just like a music video. Yep. And what sucked when you would see it on Disney Channel, those kinds of things, it made you want to watch the movie that wasn't on Disney Channel. <laughs> you couldn't get it. You couldn't watch it anywhere. Well, no, I mean, if you did watch it, you, it did, back in the day, that Disney Channel, it was like random. You get it if yeah. you, you get it when you get 2 a.m., baby. You want to get up and or you want to set your VCR. 
but that's when it's on. And that's and that was shitty D- Disney Channel. That was when they had commercials. I kind of miss those days. You know, it's kind of weird. It's great having everything at the touch of a finger, but also it was kind of cool when, you know, you had to sort of like go, okay, it's coming on at eleven forty-five in the morning. Oh shit, not again till. 1130 at night. Who's yeah. going to be watching at 1130 at night? That's not the, that's not the part of it. I, that I'm, that I'm, that I don't miss. I, I did definitely enjoy the part of where you had to look at the TV guide and figure out when something was coming. Yeah, it was just, dude, right? You're paying, but you're paying 10 bucks a month for a, a, a premium channel, quote unquote premium channel that had commercials that didn't make any damn sense. If I didn't have a little sister who was eight and a half years younger than me, we wouldn't have had it. <laughs> because this was so much part of, that window of time for us where we would sit there on a rainy day and watch this. And dude, man, when I remember those days when you'd wake up and look outside and see the shitty weather, you're like, fuck yeah, dude, we're going to watch a movie today. <laughs> right. I mean, good God, dude, it was a reason to get up and go to school. Yeah. Actually. Cause you knew you were going to be doing shit. And then, and then that's the thing too. I always noticed that the, the teachers, because they couldn't get away from us because they had to deal with us like at recess too, which was usually their break add a little something to their coffee while we're outside. Yes. They had to deal with us from through lunch too and recess twice, two recesses and a lunch. Yeah. So they couldn't go hit their Coke and coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And we were Mr. Forbes. They wouldn't do anything though. That's my point. It's like they, they, they didn't want to do us to to do any work at all because they were like, they already had enough of us. And sometimes we, we could finish Sword in the Stone without, <laughs> that would carry through recess into the next lesson. I feel like they always left it up to the teacher. Like sometimes we would start it like, it, you know, because it was only 80 minutes. So we'd start it like 1030. Right. So that by 10 minutes to noon, it was over. And then we'd go to lunch. Go to lunch. But most of the times, like you said, what we would do is we'd start it so that we could take a break, go get our lunch and then come back. Otherwise, you know, how do you fill that hour lunch? Right. What do you do then? Put on free to be you and me. I mean, that was the other thing we watched all the time that these two, this and free to be you and me, I've seen a million, you know, again, in a short window of time, probably 20 times. Sometimes you wouldn't see it in the classroom. Sometimes they have you in the cafeteria. Yeah. 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 They were right. They bring all the classes, Four or five in. classes together and just shove them in. <laughs> yeah. That was like, yeah, dude. The teachers could all go smoke. They could all go smoke weed. <laughs> I swear to God, dude, I'm a fourth grade teacher. I know you, I now looking back, I know he was high all the time. Sword in the stone. Sword in the stone. Exactly. Like, dude, he sounded exactly like Mr. Bentley from the Jeffersons. Oh my God. And depending on how high he was now, I'm guessing because I was like, he would ramble on and me and my buddy, Mike would be like, what is he talking about? That doesn't matter. You know, we were fourth grade. We weren't sure what he was going on about, but now I just know he was high because he was probably 32. Wow. I don't know. You know, he was in his early thirties. Another one we would see were always those almost like Disney versions of PSAs where Jiminy Cricket was yeah. like the host. Oh, dude. Right. Yep. One was it, you know, the, the, the hip hop group third base once used a sample from one of them and it always just stuck in my head. And I recognize it the second I heard it is Jimmy Cricket's voice saying he's stupid, but he knows he's stupid. And that almost makes him smart. Right. If you've ever seen Pee Wee, the, the Pee Wee Herman show, the thing he did with the groundlings back before he did uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, before he got into the, the features, they used to do the Mr. Bungle shorts. Yep. 
you know? Oh yeah. And that's what those were like. They were like, they were like these PSAs. Don't be Mr. Bungle. So for me, this is a lot like, you know, the Jimmy Cricket things were like that. And the reason why I attribute that to them is because they were rainy day, you know, projector content that we would see back then. It was always those things because we're kids and <laughs> it's Disney and they figure it's always safe, even though something like this is pretty, I mean, yeah, there's lots of music in it and it's pretty upbeat, but it's, you know, it's got its dark elements too. It's got some weird shit like the squirrel moment. Like we talked about do the whole weird bestiality thing. Like bestiality. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that shit would never fly. Nobody would be like, no, man, I don't want my kid thinking it would be cool to have sex with a squirrel if he was a squirrel, <laughs> only, even if only for a couple of hours. How do you explain that to Joey? Right? That's what I'm, my question for you. I was like, because when you said you were watching it with Joey, I was like, oh, good No, Lord. no, he stayed upstairs. Oh, okay. Yeah, Melody and I watched it. I was like, dude, what is, I, I can only imagine like me, if I was Joey turning to you and going, dad, what is going on here? Um, well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Let's talk about it later. <laughs> when Merlin turns he and Arthur into squirrels, uh, this little young female squirrel starts working, you know, starts. Oh, dude, she's all over. She's him. all over Arthur, all over Arthur, all over him. And then, you know, he doesn't know what to do. And he's looking to Merlin like, what do I do? And he's like, oh, ho, ho, that's just how girls are. And I'm like, the way, the way this movie paints women is so terrible. Right? Because if they're not love hungry, they're mad at Mim. Right, they're witches. <laughs> they're disgruntled witches. I'm like, that's fucked up, dude. Uh, and I don't remember that being part of the books, but okay, whatever. But, you know, Merlin's just kind of like laughing, watching Arthur get, you know, sexually harassed by this female squirrel. All of a sudden, the tables turn on him. And this other female squirrel comes up to him and starts working, you know, working him over. Not unlike what's happening to Arthur. And he doesn't know how to react. He reacts the same way that Arthur's reacting. He's like, oh, no, 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 I don't have time for you. And there's a moment because Merlin's got this really long beard. Dude, super long. Right. When he's different animals, then it, it finds its way to be presented as the longer tail or whatever. When he's the squirrel and he doesn't know what to do with himself with this female squirrel that's coming after him, his tail is between his legs and he's double gripping it. I'm like, Come on, Disney. <laughs> Just why don't you go and tell me he's holding on to his dick? <laughs> dude. I mean, dude, it's like it is. It's, the tail's all bushed out. Like, it's like ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's as bad as when they drew the giant penis on the cover of The Little Mermaid on the poster. <laughs> Animators, they're all dirty. And no matter if Goofballs. you work for Warner Brothers or if you work for Disney, you're dirty. Goofy bastards. Yeah. The, again, this is all this is all from the Disney's nine old men and like nine old dirty men, apparently. Right. Yeah. How many moments do we have where he's teaching them about life? He teaches them about aquatic life when he turns them both into fish and they're getting chased by other aquatic predator. By the way, how did the aquatic predator get in there? The barracuda? Yeah. I'm just going to say one of the dirty nine old men drew it. <laughs> right. You're not supposed to ask what kind of questions, Corey. Stop it. I am sorry. Well, you know what? I would want to know how this barracuda was so big and healthy. I mean, obviously he ate all the other aquatic animals that were in the moat. Right. Because the only things in there, what, were the frog and then Merlin and, uh, and Arthur. If there's one thing we know about frogs, it's like rabbits. There's never just one. <laughs> right. And we do see a frog right? in that scene. Just one. Right. So the other frogs frog are eaten dead. by a barracuda. <laughs> <They're inside>. Frog murderer. <laughs> 
I love the when Arthur's a fish. It reminds me of a whole bunch. I mean, more so like Merlin, but it reminds me of the incredible Mr. Limpet. Flounder. Oh, yeah. Mr. Limpet it also kind of reminded me of uh, what, what was the little fish in Little Mermaid? Was it Flounder? Flounder. Yeah. Yeah, something a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, the when they did Little Mermaid, they were, they were pulling from, you know, the old days where I mean, you, that's one thing, too, when you become a Disney animator. And, you know, back when it was back, at, I mean, I should say after it was, it, it, it was the, the nine, the nine old men. Again, I want to name them all off because it's important. I want them to make sure they have the recognition. But Les Clark, Mark Davis, Ollie Johnston, Milt Call, Ward Kimball, Eric Larson, John Lonesbury, a Wolfgang Ritherin who did most of, he was credited as most of the time as the domain director but they all were directors. And of course, Frank Thomas, as I mentioned earlier, not the Frank Thomas, the baseball player, just so we're clear. Not the big hurt. <laughs> now he's been, he brings the big hurt in form of animation. He brings the big hurt with his pen. <laughs> but when you became a Disney animator later on, like the, the likes of Tim Burton and Brad Bird, those types, you drew things a certain way. And you had a, that's why the, the Disney movies have always, animated movies have always had a very distinct look. The character, you can look at it right away and go, oh, of course, Don Bluth is another one. Oh, yeah. And Don Bluth, when he left, a lot of his movies were mistaken to be Disney movies because it had that look. So when you get to that point where you're like, man, that's crazy. Look at, again, you're being reminded of Mr. Incredible Mr. Limpet. That came out the year after this. Or the, as far as the wide release goes, it came out the same year, 1964. I thought maybe maybe they were into it just because of that 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 moment when they're underwater. I'm like, that's kind of how things come about. Just one moment where somebody goes, I have an idea and they do it. But but the incredible Mr. Limpid story was it was released before once in Future King. How fucking weird is that? Right? That is weird. You have, like I said, you have different moments. You have your aquatic moment with their fish. You have a moment where they're birds, so they have flight. Squirrels. Um, you have a moment where they're on all four legs when they're squirrels. So he, you literally, he, he allows him to experience all different types of animal life, which I thought was really clever. And I didn't really pick up on it until I was, oh, I don't know, 51 and about seven hours ago when I watched it. I never picked up on that aspect of it. Right, me too. Um, because I haven't, I definitely have not seen this since I was maybe in my early teens. I don't know what it'd be like to go back and read the books because unlike the Oz books, the Disney aspect of it has really shaped my view of what this story is about. Even the same thing when you watch any of the, the more adult-oriented like, movies that deal with, the, with, with King Arthur and Merlin, whether it's the Merlin TV series or any of the feature films, it's hard not to think of Sword in the Stone when I hear Merlin and when I hear King Arthur. You know, it's hard not to, for my mind to, to think that and think of, and think of songs that I'm not going to get. <laughs> this movie was a bigger part of my childhood, but different from the other movies that we've talked about from our childhood. This one was more, a, it was such a communal thing for us. Well, you know, what's funny, man, is like now you're, you're talking about all this. The re, now I understand the reason why we saw this is because of the learning aspect. Oh, yeah. Never in my mind, you know, I mean, again, it's a movie I hadn't thought about much since then, but watching it and now listening to you talk about that, it, dude, it makes perfect sense that this would be something they would show you because it's a, it is educational. It's disguised, obviously. Yeah, you know, <laughs> when you're a kid, you're you're just like, ah, cool. We're gonna watch fucking Sword in the Stone again today. Fuck yeah, I'm going to school. It's raining, uh, but you are learning something. Right, you're learning. You know, sort of life lessons. Yeah, yeah, very cool, man. And it's it's funny because I want to say I feel like 
you're now you're hit over the fucking head. I don't watch a lot of animated movies now, Maybe. obviously, because I don't have kids. And most of them I just think are terrible. <laughs> but I feel like the, they beat you to death with the message. It's like, good fucking God, I get it. Fucking get it. Stop. For the most part, most of the Pixar stuff, I don't feel like you're getting beat over the head. There really are adult stories kind of reformed. But I mean, that's why adults gravitate so much towards Pixar movies, because other than a couple of them, the Cars movies, uh, they all work and they all work on a level of a traditional feature film storytelling. And also that same thing could be said about a lot of the DreamWorks animation during the t window of time where Guillermo del Toro was their creative consultant, somebody that actually knows how to tell a story and they weren't pandering to kids <laughs> like we talked about. That's the thing. You get that fine line of pandering to kids and being adult type of material like a lot of the Pixar stuff is, and you are learning life lessons, but you get that in between like you're talking about where you're just like the lowest common denominator kind of thing where you're like, yeah, dude, come on. Can you just entertain me? Why you gotta, <laughs> you gotta shove right and wrong in my face. Right. Stop shoving. I <laughs> got it 25 go. minutes ago. But this, it's funny too, because this, the legacy too of Sword in the Stone isn't just limited to a soundtrack release and the accolades that you were getting from the music community too and uh, awards like the Oscar nominations. Like Madame Mim. Madame Mim found her way into the Donald Duck universe in, the, in comic book form. How weird is that, right? There was a very weird time where, there were, where Disney had comic books out. More so over in, they were much bigger in Europe. It was weird how they kind of found their way out there. And then also she found her way into some other smaller things. Like she got involved with Captain Hook and some stories. It's like, it was like they were, they were doing this thing where they were marrying the, the original DCU. <laughs> it's Disney comic universe, right? <laughs> not, not DC universe. It's pretty wild that they would do this kind of thing. And, and right. a lot of people say that was built up to what we considered the dark Disney times. Like we've been talking about the other three movies that we're covering this month, aside from this movie, weren't just dark in tone. But as we, as you pointed out in during Return to Oz, it was dark in the, the sense that this is almost the ended Disney as a company. Dark days at Disney. <laughs> it was interesting that this was the last one that got released before Walt passed and how much his family, you know, Roy was heavily involved with the, with the company. You know, I shouldn't point that. It wasn't just like, hey, on the side when they're at a family barbecue. Hey, man, maybe you should stop doing that. No, he was involved. He was part of the company. That we would get classics that come after this because Walt said, go screw yourself. I'm doing what I want to do. But after he passed, you know, it definitely... They, they coasted for a little while, which doesn't, which is not uncommon, you know, right. and, you know, when you have innovators like Walt and I'm going to use it as Steve Jobs as another example, there's a certain period of time where they've built up so much innovation that they can kind of coast any coast. Let's be honest, man. Apple's been coasting for a little while. <laughs> right. And because the people that were running the company didn't really know what they were doing. During the, during the mid eighties, during that quote unquote dark Disney times, you got a man like, and, and speaking of innovators, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who, who thought it was a good idea to make return to Oz. Right. It got sure, you know, Walter Murch did bring it up, but it, it was Katzenberg's decision to green light it. 
And, and again, the other three movies that we're talking about, aside from Sword, that we're covering this month, they're all fucking great. Yeah. Just because they were ill-received by the, the by the public doesn't mean they're not wonderful pieces of art. They really are. And if you heard our Return to Oz episode, shit. I, I At the end of it, listening to it, I'm like, fuck, man. I didn't, I wish I had seen it in between the two times, <laughs> you know, between the last time I'd seen it and watching it for the show. Because it was so good and so moving and reminding me, like we talked about, reminding me of being a kid again. Oh, yeah, yeah. And why, what have we been talking about since the moment we started talking today about it? Before you even hit record, we were eight, nine years old again watching this, sitting with our friends right. on a rainy day. Yep. In a, in a classroom. Right, man. It's funny because I'll, I'll be curious to see how we feel watching the next two. Not that I don't think we're going to dig them or anything, but I'm just saying right. what kind of feelings are going to bubble up to the top, you know, watching the next two. Which I, keep <laughs> I can edit it. If you want to say it, I'll edit it or I'll do, do it. Uh, no, 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 no. No, no, it's okay. I won't. But I'm, you know what I'm saying is like, it, it, because I didn't know, I, look, man, that's the great thing about this is, you know, we're picking things that, you know, maybe we haven't right. seen it. And in this case, fucking 40 years, but watching it and then sort of experiencing having those kind of, you know, having that thought and just being like, God damn, man, this was really, you know, this at, at, for a certain point in my life, this was a really big thing. And it right. brought back things I hadn't thought of in 40 years. Like I dude, I, I can't tell you the last time I thought about the waiting for like loving a rainy day and can't wait to get to school because you know that you're going right. to, you know, you know, at some point you're watching a movie and what are you watching? And, you know, yeah, this, uh, this movie, man, not, not as dark as the other three for sure, but definitely has some dark moments. And if you look at, it, it, you know, and things I didn't think about, you know, the not so necessarily dark, right. maybe some of the themes like, you know, the child abuse thing yeah. that they don't, they don't beat you over the head with it, but it's there. He's going to be a, you know, his whole thing right. is they tell him he's stupid. His whole, you know, they're telling him he's stupid and you're going to be this, you're going to be this guy's squire and that's all you're ever going right. to be. So just get used to it. Here's your stupid suit, put it on, right. suck it up right. and follow him around. Cause he's stupid too. I mean, that, I mean, you know, he's dumber than you are, but that doesn't matter. And you know, and it goes beyond Lord Ektar in the in the beginning, like you know, kicking his ass and like go you know go fetch my arrow. It's the 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 idiots that are back at the castle too that are kicking his ass all the time. Go downstairs and clean the dishes and stuff. I mean, everybody's abusing him. Yeah. Because why? Just just because he's there, and I think everybody can relate to feeling at moments in their life where everybody, everybody is down on you. The world's against you. And and that's how he is. But, but then when he meets Merlin, even getting abused by those other douchebags at the castle, that's even after we get to introduce to them after he's already uh, spending time with Merlin and learning his certain learning lessons from him. In fact, when he's down there cleaning dishes, Merlin comes through to rescue him. You know, to save him from the bullshit. He's like, oh, this is garbage. You have, you have life lessons to learn and you're not going to learn him sitting in the kitchen scrubbing. You know, what's weird, dude. You want to, you know, what's a weird thing is how much Don Bluth looks like Walt Disney. Yes. That's, you a, know, that's a thing I'll, I'll say that we should leave it. <laughs> weird. I don't know if it's intentional or like, did he mold himself? Maybe he molded himself after Walt. I don't know. But, you know, when you look up pictures of Don Bluth, it's like, oh shit. He looks like yeah. he could be one of the lost Maybe he's like one of the brothers. <laughs> American Tale, you really, you, you, you see it modified a little bit 
Um, what else? But when you see um, Anastasia and you see like, well, Dragon's Lair. Everybody thought Dragon's Secret Lair was Nim. Disney. Dude, Secret yeah. of Nim looks dead on. It looks like every, I always thought it was a Disney movie. I even asked you if, it, if we should cover yep. it for Dark Disney. And you're like, uh, it's not Disney. It's Bluth. And yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. And, it, and Nim was the first thing he did afterwards. And it's like, oof. And talk about dark, dude. You. Oof. Yeah, you can tell that whatever story ideas that Don wanted to tell. It definitely came from a time where like, right. you know, we need, I, he, you could tell he's somebody that wanted to go darker. Yeah. Cause I mean, dude, dragon, dude, look at dragon's lair, man. That shit's dark as fuck. That space it's, age. Granted, it's a video game, but come on, man. Yeah. And Anastasia, dude, Anastasia, no dude. That's a movie that fucks, man. It does not mess around. That movie is dark. All that stuff he did. How even land before time, dude. Land before time. Oh Yeah. All that shit, dude. You got to, everybody's orphaned. They're all orphaned. All the kids are orphaned. Yeah. <laughs> you always deal with, like, Arthur. Arthur's or, orphaned. But, dude, no, you got a group of them. You got four or five people, and as four or five characters, and as they walk along the way, they're picking up more orphans. Dude, it's fucked up. Ah, man. But, but that's what, but there you go. There's Don Bluth stepping away from Disney to tell darker stories. Yeah. Dude. Anyway, but you're right. He really does look like Walton. Anyway, we're digressing. Oh, yes, we're going. We, we, we're going to. We're going to ruin Don Bluth month. God damn it! Uh, Dark Bluth. And, and, yeah. Next next February is going to be Feb Boothwary. Feb Booth, or maybe even before. We don't know. This is the first animated movie we covered, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it is, isn't it? I I would say it is. Yeah. So, like, like I was mentioning, property-wise, you know, maybe made to comic books, and some of these characters found their way into the Kingdom Hearts video games, which I thought was really fucking cool. If you're into video games, you know what I'm talking about. And back in 2015, I'm really I'm kind of excited by it, that they, they had decided that, you know, along the lines of Jungle Book and the live, other live-action adaptations they've done, the classics, that they greenlit doing a live feature adaptation of this. Now, fuck me, tell me that's not going to, that can't be something really cool to go with the same tone, but then do a live action. I, I can't, I can't imagine how fun it's going to be to see Arthur being turned into a fish and then turned into a squirrel, you know, and, and turn into a sparrow. I just think that's going to be something fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. So with that idea, who do you see playing Madame Mim? Um, Anne Hathaway. And who do you see playing Merlin and see Arthur? You kind of kind of let go because you know, kid actors come and go. You can't really pinpoint one right now. Jim Broadbent is Merlin, and uh, I was gonna say Susan Sarandon at first, but she's too hot. I was gonna say Kathy Bates. Fuck yeah! <laughs> oh hell yeah, dude! I know she's already and, and, and you know and thought and it's not even my head because of American Horror Story. I just think she played a part wonderfully because she hasn't done anything like that. Right. As if Kathy didn't get a chance. She got overlooked for Hocus Pocus and now she's turning it up for just for that. Because like I'll show you what you missed out on Hocus Pocus. Here you go. Yeah, dude, perfect choice. I think that's great. I don't like it that shit. Boom. Boom. So if you want to follow us on Letterboxd, I'm at Corey underscore Culp. And if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you, Patreon supporters. And uh, time is waning and we're losing time here. We still need movie choice number four. We have enough Patreon supporters, but for some reason, people aren't stepping up, man. Right off the bat, man, we had one, two, three. We had three movies just like that. But number four is calling you. 
And if you haven't joined Patreon yet, now's your chance. Reach out to us at patreon.com slash KITG podcast and join the fun. If you'd like to follow me at Letterboxd, you can follow me as Tom Cody on Letterboxd. That's Tom Cody, spelled C-O-D-Y. Not Tom, that's the Cody part. Tom Cody. Cody. <laughs>